Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, it's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, of course, we have Steve and Ryan back in the studio. Morning, Steve. And good morning, Pam, and a lovely morning it is too. And it's going to be our last one getting up, and, in, and it'll be light because next week it's going to be dark again. <laughs> I always find Did that you have to remind me? I'm sorry. Well, I'm actually gloating a wee bit because I nearly always cop the um, uh, change of daylight saving you do. shift. And you this do. year, somehow or another, I've missed it. <laughs> uh, so um, if I'm lucky, I might miss the one when it goes back the other way as well because I find my whole body gets out of whack when daylight saving is going mm. one way or the other. Yes. So, um, yeah, so next week, everybody's going to have to remember to turn their clocks back to get the program at the right time. That's right. And it's, we're going to be all be getting up an hour earlier. Which will mean it'll be dark uh, again. I was just sort of getting used to the idea of I know, it was light. good, wasn't it? Yeah, you get up and you go, oh look, the, the sky's light and you know, the birds are starting the morning chorus, it's yes. fantastic. And yes, so as of next week we'll all be back to dark again. Well, if we have no listeners for the first hour, we'll know that they're <laughs> all still asleep. Yeah, well, I guess that, that's the other drawback with these things, I have to say. I mean, it's fine, it's fine when we're in autumn time because it goes the other way yeah. and, and we're all nice and early. And yeah, well, that's right, exactly. They're no sitting problem. around listening to the previous program wondering where we are. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just wanted to quickly mention last week's garden opening, which was um, seriously successful. Oh, that's um, great. It was a lovely day on the Saturday. It was a bit cold and awful on the Sunday, uh, but that didn't seem to stop people coming. And uh, although it wasn't a record attendance, it was certainly a very, very respectable attendance at the garden. And Excellent. people were enthused and... Probably visually it would have been better to have been this weekend um, because the tulips are in, uh, in a, uh, a much better state. Um, but there was plenty of tulips out last weekend and we did have one tree peony out and got another one coming out at the moment. So, yes, this weekend might have just been the better weekend to select. But uh, it was great fun. Everybody seemed to enjoy it and the garden was looking, even if I do say so myself, quite spiffing. Um, Hardly a weed to be found, all that stuff. <laughs> oh, visitors always find one. Well, nobody mentioned it. <laughs> no, they were being polite. Yes, they probably were. So, yes, yeah, so it was, it was a great event. So thoroughly enjoyed it. And, of course, from my perspective, the next thing we're getting ready for is the Garden Lovers Fair next week. Oh, yes, yes, yes. So another big event at Mount Macedon, probably a tad bigger than my garden opening. Uh, well, at least I hope so. Their figures should be better than mine, considering the work that goes into it. Um, so that will be on next weekend, 10 till 4, both days at the beautiful garden of Bolabek uh, at the foot of Mount Macedon. All well signposted. Um, uh, I think the car park opens at 9.30, so you can get in a few minutes early if you feel the need. Adults are $12.00. Um, you can get a $20 weekend entry. Children under the age of 18 are free. Uh, and there will be, I think, around about 28 or 30 stalls of plant selling and allied trades and things. Um, there will be food and coffee available. Uh, there will be guided tours of the Bolabek Garden at certain designated times during the weekend. 
there'll also, of course, be um, the Speaker's Tent, which is only going to have three talks on during the two days. So there'll be two on the Saturday, one on the Sunday. On the Saturday, it will be me at 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, and at two, it will be Attila Capitani. Um, and then on the Sunday, Penny Woodward is going to be up there. So, uh, so Penny is going to be talking about her new book that she's written um, in combination with a couple of other fantastic authors about the growing of tomatoes. So she will have copies available, signed obviously, so you'll be able to buy a signed copy of her book. And um, so it really is a, um, a weekend to be had by all, but it doesn't stop there because there's other events going up on Mount Macedon in combination this year, so they've sort of pushed out a bit. So at the Golf Club Hall, there will be an art show uh, in lots of different media, but all with a horticultural sort of bent. So, so there'll be an art show on at the Golf Club. And Open Gardens Victoria has decided to open one of the Mount Macedon Gardens on the same weekend as That's well, right. uh, which will be Glen Rannick, which yep. is one of our stunning hill station gardens. Um, it's on a steep slope. It runs down to a beautiful fern gully at the bottom. It's got wonderful trees. It's just a magnificent garden. I might add, though, take your hiking boots because Glen Rannick is quite a steep garden and there's one flight of stairs that's over 170 steps. Right. So I tell people Glen Rannick is breathtaking in more ways than one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yes, so it's quite a steep garden, but just the most amazing place. And, you know, the whole garden over the years was terraced. Um, uh, It's on quite some acreage. So um, the amount of time, money and effort that must have gone into that garden back in its uh, early days. Oh, yes. I mean, they must have had a lot of cheap labour back then. Uh, so, yeah, so there's a weekend to be had. So I actually think the weekend pass for Bolobek might be actually quite good value because if you're going to try and do Bolobek, the art show, uh, and Glen Rannick, um, you'll be pushing to do it all in one day. You'll have to do it pretty quick smart, I would have thought. Mm. So, yeah, maybe take the weekend and come up. Absolutely. Mm. Now it's high time oh, we yes. officially <laughs> said hello to Craig Wilson from Gentiana Nursery. Morning, Pam and Morning and Craig. Yeah. You've been sitting there very patiently, very yeah. silently. <laughs> Yeah, oh. It's an amazing spring morning this morning. Oh, absolutely yeah, the gorgeous. The garden's just bursting to life. Yep, and yep. And very happy that we had some rain on Friday night, Saturday. Yeah, I wish we'd had a little more, I have to say. It we had a, quite significant rain. Did you? Did no, you? we didn't get okay. it up at Macedon. We just, it was almost enough to wash the dust off. And that's about it. It really wasn't rain that would soak in, unfortunately. Yeah. So, so I'm still hanging out for a good drop of rain because... Uh, just got this awful feeling we're heading for a rather dryish summer. And I, don't, I don't do long range forecasts. Uh, I just got this <laughs> sense. Uh, I'm, it's I'm, too depressing, yes, actually. <laughs> full of foreboding at the moment. So uh, uh, I would like some good rains just to take me well into the spring. Which yeah, really I nice. had to water the nursery twice last week. Yeah, which well, I'm really unheard point. of in yeah. September. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, that's the same with me. I'm finding a few things are getting dry and wilting if I don't keep my eye mm. on them. That's so, right. Yeah, so the pots are all needing some attention. Yep, that's and one, the thing one day is, to the next, isn't yeah, it, with yeah, the pots? The thing is, if we can get a decent downpour of rain, then everyone should get out there and mulch their garden after the rain. Oh, yes. yes, well, um, I did most of mine, obviously, before the opening, so that all the garden beds would be looking. And by the way, I didn't hide the weeds under the mulch, if anyone's wondering. <laughs> uh, I went through and weeded first, so I was, I was doing it the proper way, not just trying to do some cosmetics. Well, now you won't have to do anything for a little while. Although it's surprising how quickly 
things yeah, start yeah. to rear their head, even though you've been really assiduous. Uh, uh, even last night I went for a quick walk around the garden and I noticed there was some um, some sticky willies starting to come up in uh. one of the garden beds that I'm sure wasn't there last weekend. Yeah, I yep. love that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I'll have to get in there and deal with that. And I noticed my next-door neighbour hasn't and she has got it in reams coming up oh, everywhere. Oh, no. Yeah. And if she doesn't do something about it, which I've got a feeling she's not going to. You're going to have to get in. I, well, I'm going to suffer the consequences uh, well, of that's her the not problem. leading, you know, so I'm going to cop the lot. Uh, Can't you ask if you can just spend a day and uh, just get rid of it? Well, I'd like to, um, but she's a sort of a slightly strange lady, so, oh. and, she's, and she's about to move out, so some new people are coming in in the next couple of weeks, potentially. Have you got a, have you got a, a, a window of opportunity? Is there a well, gap no, of a I don't day think or so. Two? I think she moves out and they move in, but uh, I believe they're friends of neighbours down the road, and it sounds like they're going to be quite nice and amenable sort of people. Oh, good. So once they get their furniture in, I'll, I'll go over and introduce myself, and by the way, <laughs> you know, it'd be a good idea if we got that weeded. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, you know, such is life. You can't rely on your neighbours to do what you want. No. Uh, no, and at least it's only an annual weed. Yeah, well, that's true. I contend with onion weed with my neighbours and uh, it's oh, a nightmare. Oh, yes. I can imagine, Craig, yeah, it's a it's woeful a white piece. sea at the moment. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. oh, dear. Yes, no, I'm glad that it, perhaps I've got the lesser of evils. Uh, but there's always other weeds, of course. It's not just the sticky weed that's a... An issue, you know, we've got our little patches of weedy oxalis that I yeah. have to keep on top of. And one of the weeds I haven't in, uh, encountered in my garden that I used to have in our old nursery up on the mountain that was an absolute nightmare was sorrel. Yep. Um, and I haven't had any issues with that in our garden so far, thank okay. God, because it's a nightmare to deal with. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, so there's plenty of nasty ones out there. Yep. Oh, well. <laughs> weeds, I don't know. Keep mulching. Yes, that's all I can do, I think. Yeah. It's part of spring. I mean, the weeds grow too. Yeah, well, of course they do. I mean, yep. if you can't grow a decent weed, you can't grow a decent plant, quite obviously. Yep. Uh, I don't know. The weeds are easier. Well, they are. They're they tough. Are. Uh, I have to say, at the moment, I am reveling in my rhubarb patch full of purple tulips. And next week, my asparagus bed full of white tulips should be out. Right. <laughs> And it's been fun doing yeah. something like that. Although I have to say, although they weren't properly out for the last weekend, I did hear people say, why has he got tulips in the veggie garden? <laughs> and I thought, well, why don't you have tulips? Why tulip? not? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. That was, that's my whole idea. I mean, there's that space there yep. that the rhubarb will fill. But while the rhubarb is, is now just sort of really coming into its own, the tulips are coming out into full bloom. I've got the red stems of the rhubarb and the purple flowers of the tulips and the bright green leaves of the rhubarb. And the rhubarb will hide the tulips as they die down. Mm. And will I, they come back again? Or? Well, this is the second year for the tulips. Okay, that's uh, good. And it looks like I'm going to get another good flowering of them. Um, I always find, I don't know how you find this, Craig, there's certain tulip varieties that seem to go on and on and on. That's right. And others that fade out rather promptly. Yeah, I mean, I and, tend to stick with the apple dawns. Yeah. Red and yellow, they seem to last for years. Yeah. Well, I had one, and it's still flowering, I reckon, 15 years later, and, and if anything, multiplying. And I don't know whether it's still available commercially, but it was an orange one called Adrem. Right. And it was fantastic, and it still is. It's been in the garden. I reckon it was one of the first tulips I planted en masse yep. probably 10 or 15 years ago, and it still flowers prolifically. Even yep. to, and it's never been lifted, never been done anything to. Um, so you don't lift them? You don't put no, them I, in the crisper? Oh, no. Um, life's too short. A, <laughs> that's right. I'm pleased to hear that. Yeah, oh, 
Oh, look, you know, all this business about lifting your tulips and all that sort of stuff. I mean, for the price of 100 tulips, yes. um, I'm better to buy some fresh ones every year and plant another batch somewhere, and then as yeah. one batch sort of starts to fade out, it actually gives me the opportunity to pull them all out and plant another colour. Yep, so exactly. I'm not locked in. Yep. Uh, no, so no bulbs get lifted at my place. Oh, no, no. It's oh. the only time I lift any bulbs in my garden is if I want some to sell. Yep. And then I'll lift them, divide them, put some back, and then pot the rest. That's Fair enough. about the only time I ever lift bulbs. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, there are lots of bulbs that you should lift and deal with if you're going to keep them at prime condition. But if there's something that's easy to replace, it's far quicker to buy more. Mm. Yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes I think daffs lose their vigour if you let them get too thick. Yeah, yeah. But I'm that's sh- sort of a once in ten year job. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And of course, it depends again on the daff. I mean, some of the old daffodils are, have a great zest for, for life and they just keep doing their thing. Yeah. I mean, you see paddocks of them where they haven't been touched well, that's in 40 exactly years right. or 50 yeah. years. Yep. Uh, but some of the modern hybrids, they do need a little more mollycoddling if you're going to get a good show out of them. Mm. Yeah. But that doesn't hold true for all of them either. Yep. I mean, I've got one in the garden that I bought years ago from Rod Barwick in Tasmania, and there were two I bought at the same time, and, of course, I probably lost the label, yeah. and I've never gone to the effort to see which one it was, but one was called Glenbrook Bell, and the other was called Beezer Babe, which is a dreadful name. Uh, Rod, if you're listening. Uh, and um, I can't remember which it is. Uh, right. They're both in the garden, but... Yeah. I can't remember. One of them, and I think it was Glenbrook Bell, has been in the ground without being touched for about eight years now. It's a solid clump, you know, the, and the bulbs have actually pushed themselves up out of the ground. Yep. Uh, I keep throwing mulch over the top of them. Uh, and this year, that clump of bulbs must have had 50 or 100 flowers in it. Wow. Uh, and Fantastic. And it hasn't been fed, hasn't been lifted, hasn't oh. had anything done to it since I planted it. Yep. And I really do need to find out which one it is because it's actually one that would be probably worthwhile potting and selling. It's a little one, is it? Well, it's not a tiny one. It's sort of, it's classed as a miniature, but for me, it's sort of almost an intermediate. You know how a lot of the breeders breed miniatures in exclamation marks, which a verge on not really being miniatures, I know, yeah. but it's it's a nice smallish daffodil. It seems to stand itself up nicely. It's a rich golden yellow. It's got a nice shaped trumpet. Um, it's obviously got a little bit of cyclamenius in it, but it's not pronounced. Yep. Um, and I think it's a charming little daff, and it's been one of the best ones I've planted, I reckon. Mm. So yes, it just goes to show you need to keep tabs on the names. <laughs> it's a bit difficult with bulbs, isn't it? It can be. The the labels are so easy to lose, That's and unless right. you've been growing it for a while and you've got the name locked in your head. You know, if I buy something from somebody and plant it straight away, even if I label it, if the label disappears too quickly... Um, then you're sunk. You, you are, and it's really hard to track them down and pin yep. them down. Yeah. Uh, and I know Rod Barwick isn't really technological, so I can't even send him a photograph uh, and say, <laughs> which one of these daffodils is yours on my phone or something? It would mean taking a picture and getting it printed and sending it off to Rod by snail mail and getting an answer back by snail mail. Right. And I just haven't been bothered. No. Fair yeah. enough. Is it really worth it? Well, I'd sort of like to know which that one is. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure I'm prepared to take a punt and assume that I've got it right way around. Yeah. Um, because somebody will come back and tell you later on if you're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you, you regularly get that. Uh, that's part of the fun of the social media thing. Yeah. You know, somebody posts something, you go in and say, oh, I think its name's changed to this now. Uh, and they get back and say, yeah, I know, but I, go, I can't be bothered and so you get this sort of toing and froing thing going on um and i have found since being on social media the true pedant in me has come out right yeah, some of us have noticed yeah <laughs> 
I can't help myself. I see something that's not quite right. And look, I'm always polite. I always say, oh, I think you might find or something yeah, like yeah. that. Um, but I can't help myself. I've got to go and correct it. It's frightening. <laughs> Somebody should stop me from being on social media, I think. Uh, Craig's been trying to. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's a wonderful platform. Yeah. It is good fun. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, and some of the things you see are truly remarkable. That's right. And, yeah, so now that I'm doing Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, <laughs> goodness me, people should be following me if I'm going to put all this effort in, I guess. Isn't that what we're planning on? I don't know. <laughs> uh, I have got a lot of followers on my private Facebook page. I'd like more on my nursery Facebook page, please. And uh, I find I, much more traction with Instagram yeah. for the business. Yeah, it's interesting because I haven't so far found a lot of interest okay. via Instagram, even yeah. though I've been putting quite a lot of stuff up. Yeah. Um, I guess it depends on the dynamic of your client base. Um, a lot of people still say that the slightly older dynamics still use a lot of Facebook. Yep. Um, and it's sort of the younger ones that are moving into the Instagram side of things. Okay. Um, I'm doing both, and I'm putting unique material up on everything because I can't see the point in just... Duplicating everything. I mean, if you're going to have followers on both medium, then they need to be seeing different things. So I tend to use Instagram more for pretty pictures. Hopefully, it's something I'm selling as well, but, you know, yeah. pretty picturey things. Uh, my personal Facebook page is a bit of a mix of things, so it can be, you know, pictures of the dogs or interesting plants that I have but may not necessarily have for sale and all that sort of stuff. And then the nursery Facebook page, I always put up things that I actually have at the nursery at the time. Yeah. Um, so you vary it a bit. Yep. Um, and then I sit there and write all sorts of spiels about the things, and, yeah, the journalist in me can come out. Okay. <laughs> Well, it's yes. more than time that yes, I got to a few uh, community announcements because there's a heck of a lot going on, as you'd expect, in springtime. Oh, yes. Uh, and today, if people uh, really are at a loose end, there's so many things you can go to, so let's get started. Firstly, there's an orchid show on today. This is the Maroondah Orchid Society. Uh, it's open uh, today, 9 a.m. through to 4 p.m., the location is St. Timothy's Catholic Community School. That's at 21 Stevens Road in Vermont. Uh, Melway's reference there is 62G3. Admission, adults $5, children under 12 free. There's free orchids for children. How about that? Um, plant sales, potting mix, potting demonstrations, refreshments, ample parking and easy access to the venue. So that's happening today, 9am through to 4pm. As I say, that's at 21 Stevens Road in Vermont. Free orchids. I think that's a ploy. <laughs> they're, they're going to hook these kids. Oh, yeah. Didn't the Catholic Church say, give me a child uh, up to the age of seven and, I've, and you've got a Christian for life? <laughs> uh, I like think that. they're trying to do that with orchids. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they're turning them all into gardeners yeah. or oh, plant collectors. Oh, look, more power to them. I yeah. think it's a fantastic idea to give the kids a free plant because yeah. it, it does engage them. There you, you go. Know, it's uh, fabulous. Okay. Uh, the next uh, orchid show I need to mention, of course, is the Native Orchid Show um, that we were talking about last week on the program. This is on today at the Mount Waverley Community Centre, 47 Miller Crescent in Mount Waverley, 9am through to 4pm today. Uh, admission, adults $5, concession $3, under 16s are free. And uh, there's going to be sales, um, uh, guests. Speakers, uh, there'll be photography, um, art, um, all sorts of things are happening. Now, this is being run by the Australasian Native Orchid Society and uh, there's also Devonshire Teas, coffees available all day 
Um, so an excellent show for that one. Now, uh, also, uh, there's two open gardens happening today that I mentioned last week. The first one is a tropical paradise. This is at 3 Alnut Court in Cheltenham, 10 through to 4.30 today, entry $8, children under 18 free, students $5. Uh, and the other one is Bev Fox's Open Garden, which is uh, an Australian native garden. And uh, this one is at 6 Camellia Crescent in the Basin, uh, again 10 through till 4.30. Again, entry $8, children under 18 free and students $5. And there'll be also uh, plants for sale at that one. If I was her, I'd be getting the name of the street changed. <coughs> yes, doesn't sound like a native garden. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I'd lobby the council and say, can't we call it Gravillia Grove or something? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Good thinking. Okay, also uh, running today and running through until uh, next Tuesday, the 2nd of October, is uh, a Blossom Festival at Cherry Hill. If you want to see uh, a lot of uh, cherry blossoms, uh, you don't need to go to Japan. You can head up yes, to... Yes, you do. Uh, <laughs> well, yes, yeah. it might be on a grander scale. Yes. <laughs> but uh, Cherry Hill is in the Yarra Valley. 474 Queens Road in Wandon East and uh, that one is open 10 through till 5. Adults $10, children aged 4 to 13 years $5, children aged 3 and under free. How are they going to tell a child if they're 3 o'clock or I mean, three years or four years old. You've got to bring a birth certificate, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I find that one a bit strange, but oh, anyway. Well. Never mind. There's going to be uh, a kids' bee workshop uh, at a cost of $5. Uh, there's a beeswax wrap uh, workshop. Um, so there's quite a bit. And they have uh, cherry ice cream. They have all sorts of cherry drinks up there for sale. So that's all happening today. And as sweet. I say, very sweet. <laughs> Running through until Tuesday. And, of course, uh, you mentioned the tulips. Tesla yeah. Tulip Festival is still running, and that's going to run right through until October the 14th. It's open 10 through till 5 each day, 357 Monbolk Road there in Sylvan. Melway map reference is 123B5 uh, for that one. Is that BYO clogs? For that one, <laughs> I don't know. They're probably becoming a rare item these days, yeah. unless well, you're Rachel Dutch did, descent. Yeah, well, Rachel did offer me uh, to lend me hers if I decided to come up to tiptoe through the tulips. So. <laughs> <laughs> I would have thought they would uh, be rather heavy on the tulips. But, yeah, yes, uh, they probably would be. I would, I thought, mean, especially with me wearing them. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, and as you mentioned, Stephen uh, Glenn Rannick is yes. opening up next weekend, sixth and seventh of October. Now, their official address is 84 Devonshire Lane, Mount Macedon. Uh, open 10 through to 4.30 on both days. Entry $8, children under 18 free, students $5. Now, you can bring a picnic to Glen Rannick. Um, but, of course, as Stephen mentioned, you can also visit Garden Lovers Fair at uh, Bollebeck. Uh, absolutely a lot happening. And also going to visit the art show at the Golf uh, uh, center. So, um, as per usual, Open Gardens Victoria have uh, given us one free double pass to give away. Now, I do implore listeners, if you've had um, uh, 
a double pass uh, recently. Um, please don't ring again because it's only fair that uh, other listeners get a chance to uh, to get one of mm. these double passes and go and visit a garden. So if you haven't had a double pass recently, um, the first person who'd like to get that double pass, if they ring in to Liz on nine four one nine. Zero one double five. You can have that free double pass for next weekend. It's it's uh, valid for either day, and um, it will be posted out to you. So that number nine four one nine zero one double five. Now just uh, a couple more things I really need to mention because there's so much happening. Uh, it's spring. It is. <laughs> it, it, and it shows. Yes. <laughs> Okay, well, the um, Open Gardens Victoria are being very busy people at the moment. Um, they're running um, a Design with Australian Plants workshop. Now, this is taking place down at Cranbourne. It'll be a workshop and tour. Um, now, it's, uh, uh, it's taking place next Sunday, the 7th of October, it's to learn more about native plants and experience the gardens down there with expert knowledge from the people who help create them. Now, uh, horticultural manager John Arnott uh, and landscape planner Jill Burness will present the workshop. Uh, dream it, design it, do it. That's a good catchy mm. uh, little slogan. Uh, providing a behind-the-scenes look at the inspiration for creating this extraordinary site. They'll give you advice on how you can adapt ideas from Cranbourne to design with Australian plants in your own home garden. Now, the event will include a guided tour of the Australian garden with live commentary aboard the Explorer bus. Morning tea will be provided on arrival and there will be time to explore the gardens at your leisure. You can bring a picnic lunch or you can book a table at the Boon Wurrung Cafe, which is located on site. Uh, now, as I mentioned, it's next Sunday, 10.30 through till 3. Um, tickets are $50. Uh, for bookings, go to Open Gardens Victoria website. So simply type in Open Gardens Victoria or put .org.au on the end and that will all come up um, and you'll be able to book for that one. Now, while I'm talking um, Open Gardens Victoria, as well as that... Uh, that workshop on Australian native plants, they're also going to be conducting um, a, an indoor plants workshop. Um, and this is uh, being presented by Jason Chong. Now, I don't know if you've realised how much young people are getting into indoor oh, plants. Oh, yes, look, I'm, I'm aware of this whole oh, movement. It's going crazy. Yeah, yeah, well, it's about time they started uh, at least connecting with nature in one form or another, so I'm quite, quite pleased that they're at least doing indoor plants. It's a very serious business. It is. That's, that's what I found, yeah. and, yes. and they're definitely interested in species and yeah. different yes. varieties. I think it's terrific. Yes, mm. no, no, it's fantastic. I'm just wondering how I'm going to cope with it yeah. in the nursery. Yeah. I um, sent off an order to Queensland the other day for a couple of dozen begonia species. Okay. And I thought, well, you know, that's one way I can cover it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm trying to sell them carry pines. Oh, that'll do well inside. Well, they will until they push a roof off. <laughs> yes. Um, but, yes, actually, it's funny. Some of our Southern Hemisphere conifers actually make really good indoor plants, yeah. and people don't think about it. I mean, years ago, you'd see Norfolk Island pines all over the place exactly. as indoor plants. True. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I'm trying to encourage them to buy those from me. And I've it's worked a couple of times. Flat out pulling up trappy carpus seedlings yeah. that come up all over the garden. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so this is all happening on Saturday the 13th of October. Now, Jason is a Melbourne-based architect, interior designer and plant cultivator. Um, he's at the forefront of this indoor plants revolution. Um, in the workshop, Jason will present his beginner's guide to indoor gardening and show you how to keep your indoor plants thriving. Now, it's going to be an informal social session uh, where you'll learn a range of basic indoor gardening skills, including watering regimes, the best light access, repotting, general maintenance for your plants. Um, he'll share information about selecting the right plants with time for a Q&A session, followed by a tour of his new Collingwood showroom at the Plant Society. So the address is 33 to 39 Keel Street, Collingwood. Now, as I mentioned, it's taking place Saturday, 13th of October, 4 o'clock through till 6 p.m. Tickets are $35. Bookings are essential. And again, you go to the Open Gardens Victoria website to book for that one. And I know he had, um, he had a, a, a plant sale mm. um, about two months ago. And um, my youngest daughter decided that she wanted to get a few more indoor plants because yeah. she's already got a few. We drove down there. Honestly, the queue went for block <laughs> up the street, round the corner. We're it obviously was in the wrong business, Craig. Incredible. <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Oh, so there you go. Um, look, there's just one more I'm going to mention because this is a bit of a coup coming up for... Um, the Royal Botanic Gardens, Melbourne, and uh, this is going to be part of Melbourne International Arts Festival. So uh, coming up, um, running from Wednesday the 10th of October to Saturday the 13th of October, there's uh, a very special event taking place called Fire Gardens. Now this is being run by uh, Compagnie Carabosse, now, they're, um, they're um, a French uh, company. Uh, they're a group of artists, and they've been uh, putting fire into, into all sorts of places right around the world. Um, there's going to be mammoth spheres of leaping flames, sculptures Goodness. that flicker and dance, thousands of fiery urns that cause shadows to play, uh, making your way through the dense gardens um, all by itself, lit by itself, um, it's going to be an amazing journey. So um, it's featuring contributions by musicians who've produced a soundtrack, every bit as brilliant as the garden itself. Um, so Fire Gardens will um, just be an incredible, mm. incredible experience. Um, very magical. Now, as I mentioned, it's taking place from Wednesday the 10th to Saturday the 13th of October. There'll be three sessions on each day, 7.30pm, 8.30pm and 9.30pm. Now, all tickets are $25, which I think from the sound of it is um, very, very reasonable. Mm. Uh, now, uh, to book tickets, uh, <clears throat> simply go to uh, Melbourne, sorry, festival.melbourne, all lowercase, or you can ring Arts Centre Melbourne um, on 1300 182 183. So, um, and I guess you could also uh, go to the uh, the website of uh, Royal Botanic Gardens Victoria, yeah. and uh, there would have to be uh, a link there to that one. But uh, if you want to see a different view of the gardens, that yeah. sounds totally amazing. Yeah, really good opportunity to get in there at night. Uh, yes. yes. 
I think it'd be wonderful. Yeah. And, and if you've it got... It means you don't have to jump the fence. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> as some people apparently do. But if you've got a music soundtrack as well, yep. I mean, just a stunning experience, I think. And mm. wouldn't, wouldn't the kids love it? Yeah. be magical. Anyway, so there we go. If I have time, I'll come back to a few more. But that's at least given you a bit of a feel of what's coming up. If anybody manages to do all those things, they're doing very well. <laughs> they're doing well. extremely well. <laughs> okay. Um, now, uh, it is high time that I opened up the talkback lines because it's already gone 8 o'clock. Goodness me. If you'd like to speak to Stephen or Craig this morning, we'd love to hear from you. The number is 94190155. Or this morning we have Doug on the outside line. You can phone Doug on 94198377. Double seven. Let's get started on some plants. All right. Um, well, apparently I've been gazumped with something. Because you have I, been gazumped. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but I bought one in any way. Um, but yours is bigger. Yes, exactly. And, and I could have bought my stock potting, which is bigger <laughs> which, again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've got one in a, in a sort of about a 12 or 14-inch bucket uh, <laughs> that is huge. Uh, this is a plant that you'll still generally see around the trades as podophyllum, which means foot-leafed. Um, uh, but like a lot of plants, it's had a name change, and the Chinese podophyllums are now in a genus called Disosma. And this is a um, hybrid one called Spotty Dotty, which I'm assuming was bred in America because only they would come up with a name like that. <laughs> uh, there, there's something really awful about some of the names that Americans give plants. They're sort of naff. You know, they are naff. Yeah. But it sort of describes the plant. It has this huge big leaf with the leaf stem coming from the centre of the leaf like a water lily leaf would. Um, it has a wonderful serrated lobed edge around the leaf and the most amazing almost reptilian sort of markings on the leaves and um, it's a wonderful perennial it makes a great pot plant um, they like a little bit of shade um, they don't like to get dry dry but they're, they're not overly water hungry which surprises me with a plant with such big and fleshy yes, looking I'm leaves surprised. Uh, so it's a reasonably hardy plant I'm assuming you grow it perfectly well absolutely out in the garden. Yeah. wonderful tub plant yeah I think you know if you put this in a big sort of ornamental container yeah. you'll have months of pleasure with it mm. uh, it also has beautiful burgundy flowers but the flowers tend to hang down below the leaves so you most of the time you've got to part the leaves to see the flowers have a look. yeah, yeah. Um, which is sort of all right i don't mind that with some plants i mean some things need to be overt and showy well Others, the leaf yeah. is such a feature oh, anyway yeah, it doesn't really need to flower does no. it no actually a big pot of this without flowers on is just as good yeah. i guess but the flowers are beautiful in their own way because they've okay. sort of got these long petals that sort of curl and twist as they come down and it's this really dark livery burgundy color uh, and so they're they're sort of little frightening, really, in a way. They're, they're, <laughs> they're, they're sort of... Now you've got Craig. They're sort of bizarre, and, they're, and, and there's, there's something almost flesh-like about them. And um, I think they're, you know, sort of beautiful, but they're the sort of thing Morticia Adams might have gone for. <laughs> um, and they do have a slightly weird smell if you put your nose right in them. Right. Um, but the flowers are lovely, but the leaves are what you grow the disosmas for. Um, this one obviously has spotted leaves, but there's some species with very smooth, bright, glossy green leaves, uh, some with much more cut foliage. So um, uh, it's not a big genus, but there's, there's enough to keep one entertained. It would be a good genus to collect just simply because it's quite small. Yeah, you could you have a very representative there you collection. Go. You could join plant yeah, yeah. In fact, with Disosma, because it's actually a smaller part of what used to be uh, potophyllum, there's 
probably only think four or maybe five species. So you can definitely have the definitive yeah. collection. Yes, you could have the definitive <laughs> collection, although that the they are working on breeding them. There's another one out there that I think the boys at Antique Perennials have got, and I haven't yet co- called Kaleidoscope, okay. uh, which I must get a plant of at some stage, uh, which is another hybrid in the same sort of vein as Spotty Dotty. Um, and, you know, like any good group of plants, there are people out there passionate enough to try crossing and breeding and producing new ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think they're lovely plants and to, yeah to see a well-grown plant in a large pot in a fernery or shady side of the house oh, yes. or whatever it's just a beautiful thing and the foliage stays quite clean and nice till well into the late summer early autumn uh, and then of course the whole plant will collapse and die down just like a hostel or yeah yeah most of those other perennials uh, and yes a well-grown one has enormous leaves on it so it has enormous garden presence so the important thing with these sort of things in tubs is to feed them yeah yeah, yes, keep feed, them feed. Yeah. yeah, yes, I guess it's almost impossible to overfeed if I you're using organic so. stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so plenty of uh, of liquid feeding, plenty of uh, give it a good dose of osmocote when you pot them up in the spring, um, and yeah, just gives it some power feed. Any of the other things you can lay your hands on, and, and they'll love it. Mm. Yeah. I'm into go go juice these days. Oh, are you? Oh, have are you? Tried go-go juice? No, I haven't had a go oh, at that one yet. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah well, yeah. I must give that one a crack as well. There uh, you go. But yeah, yeah so the. What was Potophyllums, now Dysosmas, uh, wonderful woodland perennials. Mm. So there you go. Fantastic. And, uh, nobody on the line No, yet. no, no, you can yeah, go right. for another one. And something that's very ephemeral in its flowering at least, but it's very an understatement. cute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm quite pleased I had one for this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is a thing called Sanguinaria canadensis, the Canadian bloodroot. And it's in the poppy family. It gets these cute little white poppy-like flowers on it. The flowers only last a day or two. Uh, they, you know, a big clump of it, well, you'll probably get a week to a fortnight out of, yeah, I guess, in right. flower, but that's, yeah. that's about it. Okay. Um, it does have pretty leaves, which are just starting to come up, so the foliage is pleasant through the summer anyway. Um, and it's just one of those pretty little spring ephemerals that um, I wouldn't be without. I think it's a, a charming little plant. There's also the desirable double-flowered version, and someone out there might have the pink one. Um which I'd like to get my hands on one day. Yeah, the double one keeps reverting on me. Does it? Yeah, mm. look, it doesn't revert on me, but I don't find it as vigorous. It's, yeah. it's a much weaker plant and doesn't seem to clump up so easily. And at one stage, I think I had a whole polystyrene box full of it, and then the whole lot virtually just rotted out one season for no mm. apparent reason. It just virtually disappeared, and I had to start from scratch again. Oh. So I'm only just building the double one up again. Um, but it is a pretty little plant. I believe that it has um, become somewhat of an important plant in medicinal things. Uh, Apparently it's got uh, potential cancer curing drugs in it and all sorts of things. And they call it blood root because if you break the root, it has a sort of bright orangey red sap inside. Okay. Uh, Of course, it's not something I'd recommend for the health of the plant on a general basis. No, I wouldn't do that either. (laughs) It's it's one of those things which is sort of the holy grail of woodland plants and you look at it and sometimes wonder why because it's such a flash in the garden. It is. Here one day, gone the next. But yeah, it's nonetheless, look, I don't mind something small like that coming and going quickly because it gives you some excitement in the garden. You know, you've got to go rushing out to see it and flower before it goes over. Mm. Um, 
It's the big things in the garden that last a week that I start getting a little annoyed yeah. with. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so if you've got that tree that uh, comes out and looks gorgeous and then the wind comes up and blows all the petals off uh, and you've had two days with it or whatever. Yeah, all uh, the deciduous azaleas spend the rest of the year looking dreadful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah so yeah, so I'm, I'm still happy to have things like sanguinaria, but it is one of those plants that if I don't sell them this weekend, I probably won't sell them next. Yeah. <laughs> true. Yeah, so that lovely plant nonetheless. Okay, we'll go to our first caller. We have uh, Wendy in Vermont South. Good morning, Wendy. Oh, good morning, people, uh, and thank you for your program. Um, my question is about, uh, is that Hardenbergia? Is that yes. how you yes. pronounce it? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I know the purple ones do very, very well. I'm just wondering if there's some reason why, uh, on two occasions at different properties, I've pan- planted the pink one, uh, specifically candy wrapper, mm. and it flowers quite nicely, not so prolifically as the purple, for a couple of years, and then it sort of turns up its toes and dies, or just gets really sick looking that doesn't die, and it's just got to get rid of it. Well, that's even worse than having something dying, really. I hate plants that just sit there yeah. looking miserable. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not fair. Uh, um, yeah, I just... Is there just an issue with the pink one? Or? I have no idea. I've never grown the pink one. I have no real yen to, because I think if you've got a good purple or white or something else, why have the pink one? Um, uh so I wouldn't be bothered planting them as a rule. I know that the pink one and the white one, to a certain extent, are less vigorously climbing. They tend to be a bit more shrubby yep. um, yeah. in their habits, so they're not... I don't think as good a climber as the old Happy Wanderer purpley one or whatever. Um, And, look, there may be an issue with it. I haven't come across anybody else commenting on longevity with that particular one, but um, maybe it's got built-in obsolescence. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Pruning might help. Yeah, it may do. Uh, uh, I just... You know, there are some plants out there that are put out onto the market just because they can be, uh, not yeah. because they should be. Yeah. Um, and certainly some of the dwarf hardenbergias, particularly the, uh, what did they call them, the mini ha-has or some bloody stupid <laughs> damn thing, um, it just seemed to me to be a pointless exercise. It's just a matter of putting out something that's different instead of something yeah. that's better. Um, yeah. And so, you know, I think we need to be analytical about some of these releases that are coming out on the market. And if they're not proving themselves to be as good as previous cultivars out there, they should go. Um, and it may just be more. that. Yeah. 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 There's just too much of it. And, you know, general, generally speaking, it's at its worst in amongst some of the really popular plants like roses. Or hydrangeas. Or hydrangeas and things. Yeah. You know, they bring out a whole range of new ones. And they might be novel, but that doesn't mean that they're necessarily better. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, the comment just there too about pruning, I must admit I never... I never really did prune it, and, and since I've chopped, I haven't dug it up, I've just chopped the entire top off it, there's yeah. about a foot of it left at the bottom, and then I see it shooting. Yeah, well, well maybe that's, that's it. Yeah, that could be part that's of the, the issue. with natives. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. you need to be cruel to be kind. Yeah. yeah, but I'm wondering, should I leave it down and see what it does now that well, I've Well, yes, oh, why look, not? You've bought the thing, you might as well uh, grow it on again, but it's certainly not something I'd go rushing out to buy from no, anywhere, I don't no. think, because I just don't yeah. think it's, it's anywhere near as good, probably, as, mm. as some of the older forms. Yes. species, yeah. 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 Sometimes uh, oldies are goodies, aren't they? Well, that's why they're still there in yeah, lots of cases. Right, yeah. So, yeah, okay. you know, if it's an old variety that's sort of proved its, uh, its worth over the years, um, yeah. uh, it's often the best fallback position. Yeah, but, you know, the other day I, was, I went down to Bunnings to stock up on my Neutrog products, mm. and they had a Talbagia there 
which is a cross between Common CI and Violacea, yeah. and it looks fantastic. Now, oh, look, there's some good hybrids yeah, out there. Yeah. I've seen that one. I think it has a good long flowering period too. So well, it goes Common on CI on. flowers for a long yeah. time. Yeah, so yeah. I think it's possibly passed that on to its progeny. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, look, there's good hybrids, and certainly, yeah, I'm not discouraging people from producing new forms, uh, but I think we need to be uh, reasonably analytical about what we actually push out mm. onto the market at yeah. the end of the day. Yeah. And, and I think uh, regarding the big green shed, I said to them the other day that I'd bought this pink Hartenbergia there and that, it, like the previous one, it's not happy. And the, the staff member looked at me and she said, well, actually, we don't sell them anymore. And the look pretty much said... <laughs> Ah, yeah, well, you know, that, that, that could be saying it all. Um, you know, if, if, well, a lot of the big sheds will stop stocking something just because it didn't sell well. So yeah, it's yeah. not always because it's an inferior plant, because I reckon yeah. if they get it in flower in a six-inch pot and they can flog it out quick smart, they'd yeah. probably keep going with things if yeah. they're selling well. Um, but, you know, they may well have had a bit of a, a backlash on it because you may not be the only one that's, in fact, not yeah. succeeded yeah. well with it. Yeah, I might give this one another little chance to see. Well, what if it it's does. starting to shoot again, yeah. I mean, you've got nothing yeah. to lose from giving it another, yeah. you know, yeah. season. Yeah, just yeah. remember to get a purple one later. Yeah. And, 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 and you are right, Stephen. Drop it back to the right. ground yeah. and give it a feed. Yeah. Actually, yes, Wendy, yes, if, yep. if you keep listening, um, our good friend Sue Stevens, who's the propagator oh. of native plants, is just coming up online, and she's going to talk about it. Good. Oh, okay. okay, so now we've got the expert coming in. So yeah. keep right. listening Good and we'll find out, okay? We'll do, we'll do, and thank you again. Okay, right. bye. Bye. Thanks. bye. Okay, so as I mentioned, we do have Sue online. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. Hi, good morning, Pam. Good morning, Craig. And Hi. good morning, Stephen. How are you all? Good. We're good. So yeah, what's your look, thoughts? I was actually ringing up to talk about the native garden and I heard um, the lady talking about the candy wrapper and... Um, Look, we used to do that at work, and I have tried that plant about three times, mm. and it didn't. I didn't even get it through a summer. All right. Well, if you can't oh, grow it, so and, um, it's actually sterile to that plant. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it is absolutely beautiful, but I know quite a few people that have. Um, tried it and uh, really haven't got any more than 12 months out yeah, of it. So it doesn't sound like it's got good um, vigour. No, and it suffers, seems to have a lot of, um, I can never pronounce this disease that goes on to Hardenbergias. Mm. El, el, oh, oh, it's like um, a yellow spot, very oh. prone to Oh, right. uh, So it's disease, disease prone when as well. you get that on the Hardenbergias, I find I almost give up on them. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, that's good to know. But I did ring up to say um, Virginia and myself and uh, Deb, Deb uh, Mack from Native Plant Enthusiastics Forum and another uh, girlfriend of mine all went over to Bev Fox's garden yesterday. Right. Oh, right, yes. That is well worth anybody taking the drive to go and have a look at that. Oh, good. That's good It was good to really hear. gorgeous. And Shirley Khan, our good friend Shirley Khan, was selling... Um, the tubes, beautiful native tubes of quite some quite rare uh, plants Fantastic. at really reasonable prices, and they had native orchids. The garden mm. is absolutely stunning, and it's just a um, she's planted on the verge with a beautiful um, the upright dwentia that has the white flowers that Ooh. I've never seen, so I was lucky to get some cuttings of that. Okay. Um, it's, it's a cottage native garden. Right, okay. Absolutely stunning. 
She's got the um, hoviers there, lots of tomasias, absolutely beautiful uh, Fraser Island baronia, yeah. mm. um, pomaderas, uh, lots of the different coloured orthrosanthus and grasses and... It was just stunning. So yeah, if anybody's fantastic. got a chance to go over and have a look at that garden, it's, I was so excited. Right. I forgot to take photos. Oh, so. Foster, can you please take some photos and send them to me? I was just in, like a kid in a lolly shop when I go to something like that. Actually, I do the same thing, Sue. I'm inclined to get excited in somebody's garden and forget to take pictures, and it drives me nuts because you I get know, home and you I think... I don't know why that happens. Uh. I just go running around and say, oh, quick, come and have a look at this, come and have a look at this. It's just... Um, when you see some of these rare plants and... Uh, Bev has got a little propagation section and I'd say she's really got a green thumb mm-hmm. um, and also a lot of plants in pots and things as well. Beautiful um, peas, pea-type flowers and different things like that. And she's just got, uh, you know, when you go somewhere and they've got the right plant in the right spot, made little uh, environments for them. It was just divine. Fantastic. So, yeah, definitely worth it. It's got me very inspired. Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay, then. Thanks for telling us. That's all right. Okay. Have a good day. You too. Bye. 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 So I'll, I might just repeat uh, the details of yes, Bev Fox's garden. Um, she is at 6 Camellia Crescent in the Basin. She's open from 10 o'clock this morning through till 4.30 and uh, entry is $8, children under 18 free, students $5 and as you've heard from Sue, um, lots of wonderful plants for sale. So yeah, there you go. sounds good. Sounds very sounds good. Sounds like the trip of today. Yep. Yeah. I don't really go with the green thumb thing. I think that it's really just a matter of learning. Yeah. Yeah, I think some people have a, uh, a knack of picking up the techniques and things. It's more about... Yep. You know, being observant and watching what's happening and, you know, dealing with plants in a sort of sympathetic way. And learning about them and understanding yeah. where they grow in the wild. And yeah. yeah, it makes all the difference. Yeah. You've just got to have the, the enthusiasm. The interest. Yeah. Yes, yeah. the interest's right. got to be there yeah. so that you persevere. Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Craig, let's start with mm. a couple of your plants. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about a few woodlanders because so many people in Melbourne sort of think that they're out of their reach. Yeah. Um, and also people have the understanding that they're shade plants, which is not necessarily the case, certainly for the first part of the season. Mm. So most of the woodlanders come from deciduous forests and they're receiving significant light at this time of the year. Good and point. also really thick mulch. Mm. Um, it amazes me what people can grow if they're prepared to look after the soil. Mm-hmm. Um, and the woodlanders like to come up through 15 centimetres of mulch with no problem at all. So what I usually do with mine is I pile the leaves on them in the autumn, really thick, okay. and then put some wood chip on top of the leaves. Yeah, to hold everything to in hold place. To hold everything yeah. in place. <laughs> yes, yeah. right. And um, they love it. And a lot of them, the rhizomes will, will move just under the mulch. Yes. Rather than in the soil. Okay. So the thicker you have the mulch, the more likely they are to spread. Mm. Okay. Um, but the, the, the um, geranium macro rhizome, there's a whole raft of them. Um, the first one I saw was in a garden in Footscray, and um, I admired it for many months, and then eventually I got to speak to the owner, and he was Macedonian, and when he came out to Australia from um, Macedonia, 
he bought a piece of geranium macrorhizum with him because he couldn't live without it. Right. And that's, that's where his came from. He smuggled it. Yes, that's right. <laughs> this would have been back in the 50s. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. That's when Didn't a lot of plants then. came out. Yeah. <laughs> but these, for, for Melbourne gardeners in a drier climate, they're fantastic mm. woodland plants. Mm. Really tough. Um, this one is my favourite. It's album. Which is kind of almost white. Yeah, I was going to say it's album could be a to misnomer it, to an yeah. extent because it's got that distinct pinkish look. Yeah. It has. But it is really pale. It's about as white as a macrorhizum yeah. comes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, really nice foliage. Flowers now really right through to autumn. Mm. If it gets a bit of morning sun, then you get really good autumn foliage mm-hmm. on the leaves. And it's drought tolerant to an extent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, the macrorhizums as a group are a really good um, ground cover for shade or deciduous shade. Okay. I think deciduous shade is what we're really talking about with woodland yeah. plants. Yes, it's not a pine forest. It's not a pine <laughs> no. forest. No. <laughs> if, if, you, if, you, if you're gardening in permanent shade, then you're looking at ferns and clivia and the like. Yeah, that's yes, right. It's a, yeah. a different palette of plants Different again. palette of plants mm. altogether mm. Than, than the woodlanders. Mm. Um, there's another one here, Telema grandiflora which is a clumping perennial, which has sort of green bells at this time of the year and uh, quite nice big leaves. Yeah, it's a nice, and it's a soft green, which is always nice. That's uh, right. A lot of things for the shadier parts of the garden are often quite dark yep. in, in foliage because they need lots of chlorophyll to bring in the light. Yes. So something with um, a paler green is actually a very nice change of pace. And, and um, with so many of these plants, you know, in late November they start looking pretty scruffy. So I just get out there with the hedging shears and cut them off at the ground. Mm. Okay. And they'll come and give you at least another fresh lot of leaves. Yeah. If not more flowers. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, so Talima's a good one. There's a nice purple form Mm. around too, Mm -hmm. purpurea. Mm. And it's another one that gets autumn colour. But I also think that light foliage like that really helps if, if you're in a dark, dappled sort of dark oh, lighting. Absolutely. And there, it'll, it, it'll just bring everything mm. to life, won't this it? This is where a lot of the gold leaf shrubs come in. Too. That's yeah. right. Yeah, because they really stand out well in the shade, whereas they look chlorotic out in full sun. Yeah, that's yes, right. Yes. They often suffer. Yeah, and yeah. burn as well. Yeah, yep. so... Mm. And what, what you find if they're, if they're shady, you, they won't get that serious gold, mm. but you get a lime glow. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. use the golden Philadelphus that yep. way, the mock orange that has goldy yellow leaves. And it's growing in a fairly shady spot in my garden, so it's not bright yellow as yep. it can be when it gets more light. But it is such a, an eye-catching, limey beautiful mm. colour. Um, great shrub. Mm. Really, really good. And, and I do like it in those sort of shady spots. As is the Berberus. Yes, yes, the golden Berberus yeah, is lovely like fantastic that fantastic as a semi-shaded position. Mm. The, the trick with these plants is to give them enough morning sun yeah, to, to give a bit of colour, colour in the leaf mm. and then protect them from the real heat of the day. Mm. Yeah. The Pulmonarias is another group. Um, which have a reputation in Australia, I think, as being shade plants, but they really need a bit of sun. Mm. I've found them to be miserable in permanent shade. Okay. Whereas if I uh, give them sun until 11 or 12 o'clock and then shade in the afternoon, the pulmonarias always get mould on them in early summer. Yeah. Uh, Mm. Just chop them off. Okay. And they'll come back and give you a fresh lot of leaves. And for those who know a little Latin, you'll realise it means lungwort. Yeah. 
Holman area because it, it dates back to the days when the signature of flowers was the the thing. And so if they thought something looked like something, that's probably what that's it would cure. What it would, yes, yeah. exactly. And so in the case of pulmonaries, because they've got spotty leaves, some bright spark decided they looked like diseased lungs, <laughs> which is a great way to sell them. Yeah. <laughs> Good, tough plants. They are, they're a lovely. Really, really extensive root system. Mm, yeah. And some of them self-seed a little bit, but never enough to be a pest. Yeah. Yeah. And there's yeah. some really seriously good blue colours in the flowers right. too. Okay. I love blue in the garden. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine uh, Mahonia aquifolium with a sea of pulmonaria. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yes, the blue and gold yellow is a it great It always works, doesn't it? It does. I like that, and I love orange and purple mm. together. I think mm. they're two colour combinations that really work well. Mm. There's another one here which is seriously tough, which is um, Symphytum uplandicum. Yeah, one of the comfries. Yeah, that's right. So mm. it's... The bees love it. Mm. So do my dogs. Do they? I've got a clump of this one growing in the front garden, and when we're taking the dogs for a walk, they always pull over to the edge yeah. to pull some leaves off the off the symphytum, okay. and they eat them. Okay. Both of my dogs It'd be do. very good for them, I would have thought. Well, I would have thought so, because comfrey's known for all sorts of minerals and what have you. That's right. Uh, so I'm assuming the dogs do it, beca- and they do the same thing to tracky stem and to the Russian borage. Yep. They'll pull the leaves off that and eat it as well. And they love it, and it doesn't certainly seem to do them any harm. So yeah. there you go. I mean, Self-medicating. I planted, this, I planted <laughs> this guy in a couple of gardens up the top in a lender near yeah. the shopping centre, and it just went ballistic. Mm. I had to get rid of it very quickly. Mm. Really? It was obviously going to be a serious one. Yeah. In my place, you know, a hundred metres lower. Yeah. No issue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, certainly in my garden, it's made substantial colonies. Yeah. It seems to be pretty easy to manage. It hasn't seeded. I haven't had seedlings come up. Of course, if I do pull some out and I drop a piece somewhere, Mm. uh, then it can sometimes take root. So I'm sure I've got a second colony on the edge of one of my paths because I must have dropped a bit when I was doing some weeding. Uh, But I haven't seen it seeding everywhere, but it certainly quietly moves sideways. But that's a good thing. But I think it is a great thing, and it's very easy to sort of stick a spade through the edge of the clump and pull out some if it's starting to encroach on other plants that you don't want it to do. But it's one of those things where anything, any piece of root that you leave behind, in the garden is going to yeah. reshoot, mm. so you need to get it in the right spot first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, yes. Once you've got it, you'll probably never get rid of it. But that's right. will you want to? That's the, yeah. the question. Yeah. Well, normal comfrey can do the same thing. Oh, of course it can. Yes, yeah. the whole yeah. group it can, can be go, like yes. that. Yeah. But yeah, it's a nice one for the shade garden, and perfectly possible for a Melbourne garden. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. And the bees love it, they, and the hoverflies and all the other insects will love it. Oh. Uh, so it's a good insect-attracting plant. And I'm assuming, like normal comfrey, you could use the leaves in your compost. I, I was going to say it would yeah. be a good yeah. compost. Well, anything starter. in the Boroginaceae. I mean, if yeah. I throw forget-me-nots into the compost heap... Yeah, where would they belong? No, don't be so mean. <laughs> I quite like my colonies of forget-me-nots in certain parts of the garden. I mean, I try and keep them in control in others, but it's a fantastic compost accelerator. Is it? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, forget-me-nots will really that. accelerate the compost no end. Of course, if you throw them in late in the season, you'll also be spreading the seed back in the garden later. Yeah. But uh, it it rots down incredibly quickly, so anything in that borage sort of group yeah. uh, is good in the compost. Okay. My compost is perpetually full of seed. 
Yeah, so is mine. I'm, I'm forever throwing the seed back into the garden yeah. with the compost, and I figure, well, it'll grow into something I can throw back in the compost again. Yeah. Yep. So I don't get too panicky. I just make sure that I don't get any oxalis bulbs or that the sort bulbs of... bulbs are an issue. Yeah, if yes. you get those yeah. into your compost, you yes. can have all sorts of issues. Oh. Uh, but, you know, I don't mind if the seed of certain things ends up in the compost because I just pull them out when they grow again. Composting and mulching go together for me, so mm. if I spread compost, it's got to have mulch on top of yeah. it. Otherwise, yep. it's a sort yeah, of, sea of green sea. lawn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Okay, another one there, Craig? Look, Stephen's got one there, I see, but it wouldn't be spring without epimedium. Oh, yes. Um, This one's diphyllum, which is my favourite white, Mm -hmm. simply because of the leaf as it comes up. It's got a wonderful coppery colour. Beautiful coppery Mm -hmm. colour. And that's one of the great assets of epimediums. I mean, they're another group of plants that I would be... In lots of cases, happy to grow even if they didn't ever flower. Absolutely. I was going to say, you know, when I first started collecting them, I was stunned by colour. Mm. But these days I look at the foliage yeah. and the flowers are like a secondary consideration. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, well, see, yours has got that lovely coppery colour and I yeah. brought along Wodong Star, which has lovely little white starry flowers, but it has those sort of um, burgundy liver spots yeah. all over the leaves and a lot of the epimediums... Fargesi, do, is it? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those ones tend to get these amazing sort of blotchy colours on the leaves, which fade as the leaves age. They go more into a, a classical greeny colour. Mm. But as young foliage, the, the colours are lovely and often a really nice um, combination with the flowers. I mean, that... What's that one called? Uh, Neosulfurium. Neosulfurium. With its pale lemony yellow flowers yeah, and that a, coppery foliage. It's just stunning. But Neosulfurium is one which does really well in Melbourne gardens. Yeah. I mean, I sell quite a lot of it. It's, it's a really good plant. Beautiful, soft lemon flowers. And reasonably drought tolerant. Because some of the Chinese ones aren't really no, that they're not, drought tolerant. But they make fantastic tub plants. Mm, yeah. um, they're one of those things which if you can't grow them in your garden in Melbourne, grow them in a pot mm. in your fernery. And they don't mind being pot bound. No. No, and yeah. they're lovely things, the epimediums. Yep. You can, like me, get carried away and end up with so many if you don't keep them properly labelled, you forget which is which. Yeah. Uh, I've got to that point. You've got to put the brakes on at some stage. Yeah, yeah. I sort of gave up. I, I remember talking to uh, the guy up at Clover Hill one day. I said, I've bought enough of your epimediums now. Unless you bring out the five-foot-tall blue-flowered one, I'm not buying another one. Yep. <laughs> How many have you got? Uh, I think it last cat about 35 or 40. Okay, oh, I gosh. think I might top you a bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you, and you sort of look at them and you think, well, that's lovely and that's lovely. And, yes, they're all lovely, but they're starting to get a bit of sameness about some of them. Yep. You know, there's quite a number of them that have got the white flowers of the burgundy spurs. That's right. So I've got about, the group. Yeah, the, and, yeah, I've got that and Satuiensis yeah. and, and Epsteiniae. There's, yeah. there's that whole group that are all yeah. burgundy and white flowered. And if I don't keep them separated, I have to think, now, which one's? That Which one's one? what? Yeah. And why do you need more than one? Yeah, well, I'd be happy with one, but now yeah. I've got three. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how many do you think you've got, Craig? Probably about 70, I think. Oh, my goodness. Which I think is quite moderate. I mean, they're a, a lot worse than me. Oh, look, <laughs> undoubtedly. I mean, yeah. epimediums are one of those very collectible groups of plants. Extremely, uh, yeah. uh, But unfortunately, there's quite a lot of them, and they keep discovering new ones and breeding new ones, yeah. and um, it all gets a little out of hand. <laughs> Although I did buy one a couple of years ago that I'm pleased I bought, and I bought it because of its name. I bought Epimedium Darth Vader. Okay. Sounds American. Uh, well, I'm assuming it was an American hybrid, uh, but it's a big growing epimedium with big individual leaflets, yeah. uh, and the spurs on the flower are really almost the colour of Darth Vader's helmet. 
right. they're almost black. Okay. Uh, and it's quite dramatic, so yeah. I'm quite pleased to have Darth Vader in the garden. <laughs> So is someone holding the National Collection? No, there's nobody holding a National Epimedium Collection as far as I'm aware. Okay. Uh, but we'd be really happy to hear from somebody who wanted to do that. You'd have a big garden. You'd need a reasonable size <laughs> garden, but then it could be worse. You could be collecting oak trees. Yes, it's true. Um, so, you know, at least Epimediums are comparatively small plants. Yeah. So, and look, the other thing about holding collections, and I might as well mention this thing as we brought it up, you don't necessarily have to hold the collection of a genus. I mean, it could be a collection of a hybrid group or something. Okay. So you could, in fact, hold... So such as? Well, in, uh, well, in roses, for instance, like you can have the Alistair Clark roses or you can have... Oh, right, you know, yep. you know, the, the A group within a group. Yeah, a group within a group. It doesn't always have to be the whole genus. And, yep. uh, and of course, with a big group of plants, um, you know, you might look at the um, epimediums and hold all of the epimedium colchica hybrids. Or the young yanums. Or, or the young yanums, yeah. which is which quite a big group. significant, anyway. yeah. Yeah, you know, so you, you could, in fact... Limit it to a certain category okay. uh, within. Yep. Uh, uh, I mean, I got a phone call just two days ago from Arno King up in Queensland. He's looking at holding a Bougainvillea collection. Oh, uh, okay. And he wanted to know the ins I hope and outs. I have got of, room for all of them. Yeah, well, like I was saying to him, are you holding just those, what did they call them? The Bambinos or oh, something? Yeah. The dwarf yeah. Bougainvilleas or little Bogues or something? Yeah, I don't yeah. remember what they call the damn things. Uh, but no, apparently it's the whole. Group he's got. Oh so he's got the big, big property. Good. Yeah, so he's got the. He, and he said he didn't really intend to start out collecting Bougainvilliers as a group, but they just seemed to come his way. And now he's got a serious collection of them. My uh, goodness. So he's decided he'd like to register it, which I think is fantastic. I hope I he's s- good at pruning. Yeah, mm-hmm. I suppose with these things that, that flower on the new tips, I mean, you can cut them back and oh, contain yeah. them yes, constantly. Yes, you have yeah, well, to. I remember seeing a collection of them years and years ago in the Delhi Botanic Gardens, uh, and they had them all in big terracotta pots, yep. and they grew them as standards, That's right. okay. and they pruned them all back. Yeah. And so they had an incredibly comprehensive collection of them, at least it seemed to me at the time, mm. uh, in a comparison. Comparatively small space. Yeah, good way okay. to treat them. Yeah, yes, and they're all flowering their heads off. And yes. the director there was trying to force foist cut, cuttings on me to bring home to Australia, and I kept saying, "No, apart from the fact I can't grow them at Matherton for yeah. a start, um, I'll get arrested as I come through." Oh no, I can give you a certificate. I'm saying, "No, no, no, I can't have them." Yeah. Um, so I had to almost fight my way out of the Botanic Gardens. Um, so um, yeah, so you could have an Epimedium collection that was. Specific yep. to a group, yep. Yep. Um, and so that would perhaps make it a little easier. Yep. So there you go. Uh, I've got a message here that Virginia would like to know where she can purchase Spotty Dotty. I would have thought that was well, self-evident. Well, I would have said from me and Craig. Yes. Yeah. I would say both of us have got Spotty Dotty available, That's right. and I have. Vespili and Pliantha as well, and Delavei. Yep. So I want. Oh, what's the other one? The one I really want is one called Diform. Right. Or Diformy. Okay. Um, that's the only one of the disosmas that I haven't got that I would really yep. love to get hold of. And it's the most bizarre thing because it has two leaflets joined in the middle with the leaf coming down from below. Right. So it joins in the centre. And they're sort of spearhead-shaped leaflets. Fantastic. And, and, and it's blotchy. Yeah. So... Yes, if anybody's got uh, Disosma Diformi out there, I want it. <laughs> I have Plenianthum and Peltatum. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, see, of course, Peltatum is now still a potophyllum. A potophyllum, because it behaves very differently. Yeah, it is. They're quite a different group of plants. Yeah, that's right. And so um, it's mainly the Chinese ones, yeah. although there's one, and I can't remember which one it is, that's been lumped into Sinopotophyllum. 
So there's one Chinese species that used to be a podophyllum, which is now in its own little genus, a cynopodophyllum. The rest of the Chinese ones and Japanese ones have ended up in in Dysosma, and I think all of the North American ones have stayed in Podophyllum. Yep, so that's Hexandrum and... Yeah, Hexandrum and and Peltartum and those. Which is my apple, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. they've stayed in Podophyllum, because they were the ones that were named first anyway, so if if anything's going to... Well, that's fair enough. Yeah, if anything's going to keep the name, they they should. Yep. Although, don't get me started on Acacia. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. And uh, Virginia also wants to know, is there any reason a anomaly would stop flowering the only thing that would stop shenomalies from flowering I would have thought is if it got into really dense shade even then you usually yeah, get and, a few and you usually do uh, so it won't flower as well if it's in heavy shade um, I can't see any other reason why shenomalies would stop blooming I mean they're almost impossible to make stop that's bloom. right huh? Virginia needs to find another hobby if she can't flower <laughs> yeah, shenomalies I wasn't going to <laughs> say that, that but you said it so yes <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, I was thinking in that line, but I wasn't going to say it. Uh, uh, especially friends. seeing as Virginia might well be my house guest on Friday next right. week. So, yeah, so uh, I want to be nice to Virginia at the moment. Um, so, um, yeah, I don't imagine there's any real normal reason for that to happen. It may just be it's having a year off, maybe. Mm, really? Yeah, I suppose it's possible. Yeah. Some plants do, although I have to say... With them, it's a rare occurrence. I mean, mine have been stunning this year. They yeah, have just flowered their right. heads off. Mm. They have just been so good. Dry and, autumn, do you think? Yeah, I think it, I think it was, actually. Yeah. Uh, and I had the one called Peach Melba, which is the sort of semi-double white one that goes peachy-coloured with age in full bloom. I had Navalis, the pure white, and I had a, a single red that I'm not quite sure what it is. And they were in full bloom. And any pot I had at the at the garden for the opening of, of canomalies of any shape or form all walked out the gate. Yep. I sold my whole crop. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, and which is good to see because they're such damn good shrubs. Uh, and they were in limbo for years. Nobody was planting right. them. Yeah. Uh, and you'd see them in old 1940s and 50s gardens around. Yeah. But yep. that's the only place you saw the flowering quinces um, and now they're sort of having a resurgence which is yeah, fabulous it is it's about time oh i think so because they're yeah. just such wonderful plants yeah. i mean the flowers are great i've noticed the birds and the bees love them uh, they make a nice twiggy habitat for small birds oh yes so they're a good nesting site for small birds they make a fabulous country hedge that's right you know yeah. i've been convincing people all around the sort of yeah. district to to plant sort of farm hedges with them. An informal hedge. Yeah. Yes. And, and for Scythia, it does the yeah. same. Fantastic yeah. hedging plant. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, and we should be using more of that. I think there's always been this sort of um, thing against deciduousness when it comes to screening and hedges. And uh, because the canomalies lose a lot of their leaves in the winter, people think of them as being bare, but that's when they're in flower. That's when they're in flower. Yeah, yeah. so they're never really bare. Yeah, but uh, also in the winter, I mean, it's not like you're out in the garden needing the privacy anyway. Well, I always say to people, how often do you nude sunbathe in the middle of winter? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you don't need, you know, especially if it's facing the direction where the warm winds and things come from yeah. because you don't get the winds from that direction anyway in the winter so if it's if there's any air coming through it's just going to be a light zephyr in the mm. winter coming from that direction mm. so 
a deciduous plant's perfectly fine. Yep. And yes, yeah, so I just love canomalies as a, as a hedging plant. I think mm. we should all be using it more. Um, in fact, I've got a client that I'm going to be sourcing some for shortly who wants to surround her vegetable garden okay. uh, in, a, in a canomalies hedge. And I said, oh, I'll select your colour and let me know. And she said, my daughters have decided they want to start from white, go through pink and end up in red. And I thought, oh, my God, um, yeah. this is going to be interesting yeah. <laughs> and unique. Um, I would select a colour and run yes. with it personally. Yes, I would. Um, or red and white. Or red and white or red, might work. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But yes, that throwing the pinks be. into the mix could yeah. be a bit oh, iffy. I think. But yeah. Anyhow, look, it's in the winter and, and a cheery sort of splash of colour is what we mm. want, isn't it? So maybe that's what they'll end up with. It oh, sounds uh, like it. But yes, I think I'll have to be sourcing probably a couple of hundred plants for them for, right. for that job because it's quite a large veggie garden. Okay. And it's in sort of north of Wood End in sort of cold winter area with frosts. They'll and do really stuff. well. And they'll be fantastic yeah. there. Yep. You know, and it will give her screening around the vegetable garden and they'll probably get so dense that she probably won't need a fence around the veggie garden in due course. Yeah. Uh, although the rabbits will probably still get through. Oh, yeah, I'm sure they will. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Okay. Um, we've got a listener who would like to know if there are common names for the plants being mentioned. Now, we've been mentioning the common names. Well, where there are common names, I mean, Canadian Bloodroot. Uh, uh, spotty Dotty. Um, yeah, well, but see, this is where the issue comes about. Common names like Baronwort for Epimedium is all very well, but there's only certain parts of the world where they'd have even heard that name, so yeah. it's not really a common name that applies here. That's right. And Epimedium is no harder to say than Baronwort, I wouldn't have thought. Or Rhododendron. Yeah, or Rhododendron <laughs> or Daphne. Or, yeah. you know, yes. uh, and certainly the issue with common names is they tend to a large extent only to apply to plants that have been in common usage. Yeah. I mean, a rare plant is never going to acquire a common name That's as a right. rule because it's not growing in everybody's garden where a common name comes about. And the other issue, of course, is I take great exception to any nurseryman who decides to put a common name on a plant just because he can yeah. or she. Uh, could be her fault as well. Well, a lot of people just make them up. Yeah, they do. And That's I mean, right. you know, common yeah. names came about because of common parlance. So we know what a forget-me-not is. We know what a foxglove is. You know, there's lots of wildflowers and things that, cr- that common names became applicable to. And you can still use them because they're reasonably well understood. They're accurate. Yeah, and they are accurate. You know, a foxglove yeah. is a foxglove is a foxglove. We all know what a foxglove is. We know what a forget-me-not is. Yeah. Um, but... You know, when you start to get some common names which apply to many different plants or, a com- or plants that have different common names in different areas, um, the common names start to lose their value. Uh, Certainly on an international stage, oh. they do. Oh, yeah, that's right. Hopeless. I mean, I put up a picture of eucalyptus regnans and call it mountain ash, and people from the northern hemisphere, think, what the hell are you talking about? Well, that's right. Yeah, their mountain ash is a sorbus. That's right. Uh, yeah. Which is a deciduous tree with red berries that keeps away witches, and it's yeah. got nothing whatsoever nothing to whatsoever. do with our mountain ash. Yeah. That's right. So, as much as I appreciate people wishing that there were common names, um, it just doesn't happen sometimes. And, um, and of course, if you're going to look them up on whether it be Mr. Google or an encyclopedia, you've got to have a botanical name to start you off. If you haven't got a yeah. botanical name, you're in all sorts of trouble trying to find a plant. The so, Latin names are so accurate. Yeah, and yeah. so and although they do change <laughs> yeah. on a very regular basis, uh, the idea is that at some stage along the track, it will give stability yeah. in plant names. So, you know, Disosma is probably now the name that will be stuck to with this particular group of plants from China. 
I'm not so sure I like the name as a name, but it's there and, and it apparently is an old name that they've reinstated for the right. group. So, yeah. you know, they've gone back to an original name. Uh, so there's a certain sense of logic there. So they haven't just made up a new one. Yep. Uh, and it's just a matter of all of us getting used to whatever the name is. And if it's a point and, we're and passionate learning. about, you remember. Yeah, that's right. You know, I mean... When, once you learn to associate the, the botanical name with the actual plant mm. and what it looks like, mm. then you're right. Yeah. yeah. And, and I always say to people that learning names is like learning the names of people. Uh, when you're introduced to somebody, you probably promptly forget their name. Yeah. Uh, if you're like me, you will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in fact, I'll have to be introduced to them several times before the name sticks in my head. Um, but when you start to put a personality around that person, then the name sticks in your head. So when you know that Daphne drives a Lamborghini to church on Sundays and likes a gin and tonic in the evening, you'll remember her name better than just this woman you were just introduced to. Yeah. And so once you start putting a personality around the name of the plant, uh, it's surprising how much more... Regularly, you'll be able to bring it to mind. Exactly. And of course, yep. you'll get to a certain stage in life where you'll be able to relearn the name every day and it won't matter because you've forgotten it again. <laughs> <laughs> rapidly approaching. Yeah, I think it's rapidly approaching, <laughs> Craig. I, you know, the more I think about it, the more I realise I'm forgetting things that I should have known yeah. and did know. And yeah. yeah. I know. Yeah, we're all heading in that general I know, direction. I know. Incidentally, I've been chastised because it, I've just been told it was a different Virginia that called in. Oh, so dear. there you go. <laughs> Sincere apologies. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> so it wasn't the We Virgi- just assumed it was our Virginia that yeah. we know so well. And that just means we love you dearly, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it was a different Virginia yeah. who can't yes. flower anomalies. Oh, oh there dear. you go. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I'd, I'd try giving it a feed and, and yeah. a bit of a push, prune. Yeah. Push it yeah. along. Yeah. yeah. And they do tend to flower on old wood, so you're not going to do it too much harm by trimming it back at That's the tips right. or whatever. Yeah. 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 Okay, we've got our good friend uh, John from Melton Botanic Gardens online. Good morning, John. Oh, good morning, everyone. How are you, John? Oh, very well. And you've got an open garden, I believe, coming up. We have. We've got a free event in the the Wild West um, next week. Yes. On Sunday, the 7th of October, from 10 o'clock till 3 o'clock. So it's in celebration of our 15th anniversary, the Friends of the Melton Botanic Garden. Goodness, are you that old already? Yeah, we're that old. (laughs) 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 Means I started there when I was 50. Uh, 50, yeah, that's right. Oh, dear. And see, you're even starting to hesitate about your age, John. That's saying something. worry, isn't it? (laughs) 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 But um, we've got the nursery open with plant sales. We'll be running regular guided tours. We've got some roving puppets, so... We've been supported by uh, the Melton City Library and they're coming out and doing a number of kids' activities in uh, seeds and things and they've um, got Jackie Kerrin from Williamstown uh, doing at 11 o'clock and about 1 o'clock bird tales. So uh, she does a number of uh, stories with a violinist and... um, about uh, migratory birds. So in the Melton Botanic Garden, uh, Latham Snipe um, used the Ryan's Creek and around the lake. Um, we sighted about eight, or well, we had eight sightings, but probably five to six individual birds uh, when we did a bird survey oh. a week and a half ago. Yeah. Fabulous. So, yeah, really good stuff. Melbourne Water are coming along. They're doing little water bugs activities, so you can see some of the, the pond life in the Melton Botanic Garden. Oh, great. Garden. And uh, the plants are doing really well. They're sort of hopefully recovered by the late frost. <laughs> yeah, we did we get had. some corker frosts, didn't oh, we, this yeah, year, John? Yeah. 
So your your tree dahlia is coming uh, back to life. Oh, thank uh, God Stephen. for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm pretty confident that a tree dahlia will come back. It just yeah. it just gets knocked billio when you get those heavy frosts. And then I can show people your um, anchor plant as well. Uh, yeah, just don't let them touch you it. Don't let them touch <laughs> it. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we've done some new gardens. So if you haven't been for three months to the Melton Botanic Garden, you can come and see new things out there all the time. Goodness me, there's no stopping you, John. So, oh, well, it's it's not just me. It's a whole great team of people and dedicated volunteers that are doing this, and um, great support from the council and other community groups. Yeah. Wonderful, fabulous. So yep. you definitely recommend coming out to your place next Sunday. Oh, it's certainly after they've been to um, Mount Macedon. <laughs> oh yes, to been to the plant fair. Yes, they can go via Melton on their way home to uh, Baronia. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then, you know all the good things like uh, stop over in the West overnight and things like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Go to the wineries. There's, there's just so much happening out this way. Yep. What times, John? It's ten o'clock in the morning till three, and the best um, place to go to is Twenty One Williams Street. Right in Melton. Yep. Um, and your GPS will take need you in. To contact me, um, my phone number is nine seven four three three eight one nine. But otherwise, just um, turn just up, rock up and enjoy the day. There's uh, yeah, there, there's a lot more than what I've said there. So there's lots lots of good activities and uh, a whole uh, twenty six hectares to explore. Absolutely. Yep. Fantastic, John. All the best with it. Okay. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. Yes, certainly recommend the Melton Botanic Gardens if people haven't been out there. Oh. How, how, is it only a 15-year-old garden? Uh, well, the Friends Group started 15 years ago, okay. but yeah, most of the planting and most of it's been done by the Friends Group, yeah. so yeah, I assume the garden is around about the 15 years right, old. Right, so it's not one of the 19th century gardens. No, no. Oh, no, it, no. It was a piece of, um, uh, sort of a, a linear piece of waste ground along the side of a creek um, and the edge of Melton, yeah. and um, the Shire amazingly thought what a good place for a botanic gardens and they got a really active friends group up and running uh, they're now holding the um, dryland eucalypt collection right. there for plant trust um, they've got the erymophila collection i think has been fully registered now right. but uh, certainly it was That's in the great. midst of uh, yeah. of being registered for down there uh, and uh, and it's not just about native plants i mean they've got that was the sort of basic premise to start with, but now they're putting in Mediterranean beds all over the place. Yep. We've got a South African bed, a Californian bed, uh, a true Mediterranean area. Um, they've also got a bush tucker area. Um, it's a remarkable feat. It's yeah. fantastic to see big public gardens being planted oh, yeah. in this yeah. day and age. Oh, yeah. yes, it yeah. is. And it's a really interesting setting, and they've got yeah. a great nursery setting there, and uh, they sell some fabulous plants at ridiculously low prices. Yeah. Uh, we as nurserymen should stop them doing that. But, <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, it's, um, uh, it's a really interesting place to go and have a visit. Yep. Mm. Fantastic. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. We're running through until 9.15, so if you'd like to jump on the phones and uh, give us a call, uh, if you have a gardening question, we've got Stephen Ryan and Craig Wilson in the studio this morning, so we'd love to hear from you. The number, 94190155, or if you'd like to have a chat to Doug on the outside line, 94198377. Let's go next to uh, Jill out in East Malvern. Morning, Jill. Morning, Pam, Stephen and Craig. Good morning. Um, Thursday evening um, at Burnley at 7.15 onwards, the Herb Society is having um, a general meeting and um, Stevie is going to be 
discussed by June Valentine and Chervil by Pat Down and an introduction to Herbs of the Bible by um, Beverly Naranja. And then we have a raffle and we have Herb Supper and have a jolly time. So I hope lots of people can come. And that's 500 Yarra Boulevard, 45A12 is the Melway reference. And you can get there by the Swan Street or the Riversdale trams. So it's quite easy to get to by public transport as well. Excellent. Can I ask a question about a little plant that keeps popping up? I think it came in on something I bought from a nursery. Right. And I think it might be in the Chalidonium um, family, but it's got a little bright, brilliant yellow lower lip uh, petal. Brilliant yellow. And mm. it pops up everywhere, and I don't mind. It's a sweet little thing. But I just, nobody, nobody that is uh, expert gardeners that I know know what it is. Can you describe the plant a bit more, Jill? Yes, it's got um, a divided leaf, but it's not, it's not like an ash leaf or anything like that. You know, it's more like the uh, Chelidonia magus, you know, the greater yeah. celandine. Mm. And I think it may be in that family, but it doesn't have the orange sap. So maybe it's not. <laughs> yeah, well, if, if it was one of them, it should have an orangey sap. Um, uh, a lot of things in that poppy group do. Um, I don't know, is there a chance of, t- of taking a, a, a digital image and sending it? Uh, I could do that next week, yeah, uh, I'll do that. Yeah, look, if you send us a, fi- a photo in uh, <laughs> and we can have a look at it, um, we've, and I mean, then we can send the photo out and about. I mean, Pam can always send it to me to have yeah. a look at yeah. or whatever. Uh, even if I'm not on that week, I can have a look at things and see if we can pin down what it is. But it yes. looks quite sweet, actually, because it... It came, um, I don't know, I've got it already and then put some potting mix in, you know, when I put up daffodils. And so I had this little yellow thing on the on the bottom of the pot, whereas the daffodils were up high and it just looked perfect and mm-hmm. does well, actually, when you have grape hyacinths, you know, the blue and yellow combination. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, anything in those colour combinations is, is, is lovely. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, so I think we'll probably need to see a, a reasonably clear photo for preference, please. <laughs> I'll, do, I'll do that. Yes, yeah, so if you can do that, that, I'm sure somebody will pin it down for you if, um, uh, if we can see what it looks like. And you'll be very proud of me. I've taken out the vinca right. um, out of the, uh, all the bed that's facing east under our bedroom window. And because I've got some precious things, I bought a gingervic that yeah. need that aspect. It took me eight hours to do oh, one garden bed. I bet. Yeah, it's a big job. Uh, digging yeah. up. Yeah. And, um, and then I, you know, it was sandy for, been, it's pure grey sand at East Malvern. Mm. Mm. So then I put some of that soil wetter that is supposedly good. You know, I didn't just use my dishwashing. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Like that. Yes, we need to and stop that. And then cow that. manure. And then, um, mulch, compost mulch. Anyway, I've left that for a week and watered it and watered it and put all the plants in pots 
in that aspect to leave them for a couple of weeks and I'll plant them when they've sort of got used mm. to that. Well, just keep an eye out for any re- recurrence yes, of the vinca, won't there you? There will be some that'll pop up, yeah, guaranteed. Yeah, you'll almost be sure to have some no matter how thorough you've been. Yep. So you'll I've got need a whole garden of it. Yeah, well, yep. in that area particularly, though, you're going to have to... Oh, yeah, especially, especially if it's had a nice bit of tucker. Well, exactly. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, you'll, you'll bring it back again. So, yeah, so you'll have to keep on top of it after you've spent eight hours oh, yeah. getting it out. You don't want to let it come back in again. It's a shocker, oh, yes, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, it's a bit like, um, I don't know, um, measles. You have to keep on top of it the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yes, so there you go. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to my um, Daphne. Uh, it's a special purple Daphne. And I've got, uh, to go in that aspect, I've got two flowering currants and one fruiting currant, mm-hmm. red currant. And I'm going to put the um, uh, blueberry there. And there's already further along Nandina domestica. Nice. I've pruned back, but I've actually got a pot of that to put in the bare spot. Mm. Useful that. plant, the old Nandina. I think it's somewhat um, denigrated by people. And I like the foliage of Nandina. I don't like the Nandina domestica nana, the little dumpy one that looks like it's been to Chernobyl for a holiday. Yeah. Um, don't like that one. But there's plenty of good Nandinas out there, and I think they're very, very underrated shrubs. I couldn't agree more. Mm. And you can plant well, them right up against tree trunks. old Nick, really. Yeah. It is. They're, they're wonderfully resilient plants. Yeah. And, and they're light and airy and texturally interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm glad you're using the Nandina. I like it. Well, when I prune back the old um, stalks, you know, like mini trunks, mm. they're bright yellow sap. I yeah. couldn't believe it. Yeah, well, they're in the Berberidaceae family. So things in the Berberidaceae family often have either bright yellow roots or bright yellow sap right, within yeah. the trunks. Uh, so if you cut back a Berberus, you'll find it has yellow inside as well. Oh, really? And Mahonias, of course, because they're yeah. in the same group. Mm. Oh, yes, Mahonias, yes. Mm. Oh, well, thank you for a conversation. Okay. Have a gorgeous day in the sun. Yep. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye, Bye Jill. And uh, next up we have Ian out in Faulkner. Good morning, Ian. Ah, morning, guys. How are you going? Yep, yep. Well. well. Uh, yeah, good. Uh, look, I, I am looking at uh, uh, moving moving house, and, and one of the areas I'm, I'm looking at um, is out in, uh, out in Sunbury. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just wondering, um, I've sort of been out there, looked at a few different houses, a few different areas, and the soil doesn't seem terribly good. Yeah, the <laughs> but, soil out through Sunbury is quite heavy reactive clay. Yeah, right. So yeah. yeah, so you need to do a lot of work on the soil if you move into a garden in in Sunbury. Uh, so it will be a matter of bringing in vast quantities of organic material and things to break up that reactive clay for the rest of your days. Yeah, for the rest of your life. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'd rather have a clay soil, I might add, than a sandy one. It's agree, got the nutrients. Yeah. yeah so you know, yeah. you can do more with a clay soil, even though it's harder work uh, than yeah. you can with a sandy one. But yeah, most yeah. of that area is quite heavy reactive soils. You can, um, look, you can do that too, particularly if you're doing things like vegetable gardens and things yeah, like that. Raised beds are quite a good idea. That's, that's what I'm looking at. Uh, do you know, are there any good uh, nurseries out that way? 
Well, I'm out Tricks that way. <laughs> a little further out, but I'm out that way. Um, I've been out there, yeah. Uh, look, there's a few nurseries about, but like most areas, we, we're suffering from a lack of nurseries. Uh, it seems to be becoming more and more the, the thing. Um, yeah. uh, there's a large nursery in Riddles Creek, um, Webbers, right. um, uh, which is not too far away from Sunbury. Um, uh, there, I don't think there's a big nursery in Sunbury anymore. There used to be one... Um, uh, sort of round Emu Bottom Way somewhere there that um, was a really large nursery, but I don't think that's still going anymore, Coolabar Nursery. Okay. Um, right. But, um, yeah, so, you know, if you're looking for general lines, well, Webbers in Riddles Creek would suit. If you're looking for something yep. rare for the garden, I'd probably yep. suit. <laughs> uh, and there's a yep. lot of other little small nurseries around the, the local towns like Wood End and what have you. We haven't even got a Gisborne nursery anymore. Really? No. Right. Yep, so if I want yeah. vegetable seedlings, I have to go further afield. I've either got to go to Wood End or I've got to go to Sunbury yep. uh, if I just want to pick up some seedlings. It's the way the world's going, isn't it? It yeah. is. In fact, yeah. I've gotten to the habit, believe it or not, of picking up vegetable seedlings in Bendigo when I go up to do radio up there on a Thursday morning. Uh, I'll call in right. Bunnings on the way back to pick up some yeah. some seedlings if I need some vegetable seedlings because it's, yeah. for me, the most um, convenient place to stop. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, so yeah, so you will struggle to find a lot of interesting nurseries up around the sort of Sunbury area, but there are some. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, and, and basically it's a, just a matter of yeah, vegetables go with the go with the raised raised bed like a um, you know sort of a pancake, whatever they call it, the bloody um, yeah, uh, the, type beds. Yeah, yeah. Look, um, the raised beds would work quickly and well, and it's just a matter of putting the right sort of materials into them. I mean, I'm an old school guy, and I would in fact be improving the soil everywhere I was on my garden, which I have done over the last thirty years, because yeah. uh, well, I started I off. If I, was, if I was putting in in fruit trees and things, which I which I would like to do, yeah, um, that that's the way I'd go as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah, 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 so it's it's know. certainly long-term the best option. I mean, I started with yellow yeah. clay with no topsoil, and now over yeah. most of my garden I've got 18 inches to two feet of decent topsoil. It's amazing how the garden beds move up. What sort of organic material would you, would you hit it with? Uh, it's not a matter of a particular material. It's a matter of diversity. So yeah. if oh, I can get... Uh, mushroom compost, I'd buy a truckload of that. If I can get animal yep. manures, I'd go for any sort of animal manures I could get. Yep. Uh, pea straw, loose and hay. In uh, autumn time, collect yeah, leaves. Le- yeah, rotted leaves. Uh, collect all the grass cuttings. Collect all your kitchen scraps and create a decent compost right. and wood system. Chip. Yeah, and wood I do, chips. I do all that down. Anyway. I've got, I've got, I've got, a, I've got some chooks, so I have to tell them to get, get, get moving. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so the the chickens are a good idea. I clean out my chook shed every so often and throw that on the top yeah. of my compost heaps. And uh, so I just, I just believe that the more diversity I can get into the ground of materials, uh, yeah. the better off the soil is going to be in the long term. So Fair even right. if a material is reasonably readily available at a cheap price, I never knock it back. But I always try to make sure I've got other things coming into the garden all the time as well. Yeah, no, that, that, that sounds good. All right, thanks very, thanks very much, guys. Okay. Right. okay, bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Uh, Robin's rung in on the outside line wanting to know um, if we have the dates that Virginia is leading tours of the botanical gardens. No, I don't have. No. Um, I'm not party to that, but Virginia is on the program in two weeks' time. So, All right, uh, so she'd be able to give you she, some ideas. I will make sure she gives out dates again when she's on in two weeks' time. Good. Yes. Yep. Yes, it'd be fun to do a tour with Virginia. Oh, it would be great fun, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. 
Stephen, we've got a few more plants. Oh, yeah, we've got a couple of other yeah. things here. Uh, I've bought in a wee plant of um, one of the pearl bushes, the exocorders, uh, which are a group of deciduous shrubs, fairly quick growing. They are what they are. Close to one week wonders. Um, They don't flower for an exceedingly long time, uh, but they have wonderful white flowers from pearly white buds, hence pearl bush. and when one's in flower, it is always a sight to yeah. see. Yeah, so I was going to say, it's a pretty wonderful week. Oh, it is. It's a beautiful time to see them in flower. Yeah. And I can always remember when Bolabek, uh first started opening when Joan Lawsmith had the property way, way back. Yep. Um, she always used to open on the same week that the Exocorders were at their best. Yep. And I knew to stock up on Exocorders <laughs> in the nursery whenever Bolabek was going to open. Yes. Because <laughs> when Joan had the place open, she had a pair of them, big ones that came up and over a pathway. Yep. Oh, and wow. so you'd walk through this sort of tunnel of Exocorder. Oh. And I had every lady in a twin set and pearls from God knows where rushing wanting into my them. nursery <laughs> wanting yeah. Exocorders. And yeah. I used to sell out every year. Um, it does go quite a pleasant pale yellow in the autumn before it sheds its leaves, so I suppose it does have a slight backup. Um, they can grow into quite large shrubs. Uh, I've certainly got uh, Exocorda racemosa down my driveway at the nursery at the moment. It's in flower, and it's been there for 30 years, and it's probably four metres by five. Mm-hmm. It's huge. You've never touched it. No, just let it go. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can prune them, but I've never never touched it. This particular one is one called Exocorda serratifolia snow white, which so far is making a much more upright plant than racemosa in my That's garden. That's a good feature. Yeah, it could be a useful feature. Yeah. Uh, its flowers are slightly bigger. Its leaves are about twice as big when they come out, so it has quite large yeah. leaves that go a good buttery yellow before it sheds in the autumn. And mine's growing about six feet away from a big old gum tree. It hardly ever gets any water, um, and it's flourishing. Uh, I mean, I did prepare the ground, obviously, as I have to everywhere in my garden at home. Um, uh, but my Snow White um, Exocorda has grown superbly, and it came out this week just after the opening. Mm. Just after. <laughs> yeah, just after my garden opening. Uh, but it's looking stunning, and, and it's in a comparatively narrow bed with a path quite close by, and I haven't yet had to even trim it back from the path. Okay. I mean, it's got the neighbour's places on the other side, so if it's spread out that way, it wouldn't matter too much. Yeah. But, yeah, the Exocorders are a lovely old-fashioned deciduous group of shrubs. They were really popular back in the 50s and 60s when the Australian native push came on and and deciduous plants seemed to become a bit of an anathema to people. Um, Exocorda disappeared just like Canomalies and Forsythia and Wigilia and, you know, all those deciduous shrubs. Yeah. Some of which have come back, but Exocorda's still sort of hanging out there in the sort of nether regions yeah. a wee bit yeah. uh, and it's one of those shrubs that should be sort of on the let's plant again list and if you're going to kill one the best way to kill one is to put it in a wet soggy spot yeah. so they don't like wet feet uh, and I know when we had that really wet summer several years ago people lost those and they lost cottonus yeah. uh, from wet feet through the summer and okay. yet they'd been through 12 years of drought uh, and without batting an eyelid without batting an eyelid one wet season and of course people were planting things down in holes and all that yeah. to sort of collect water uh, and some of these things that actually like good drainage then suffered for it mm. so but yes Exocorda um, spelt with an EX uh, is a fabulous shrub and they're all white there's the bride which is an archy weepy one there's racemosa which is a large spready bush and then there's serratifolia snow white which is a comparatively up Right, and a really pure white. 
It is. It's a really yes, yes. strong, yeah. pure, clean white. There's yeah. no pink or green or anything right. else in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it really stands out beautifully. But it is probably a week to a fortnight of bliss, and then the plant just disappears into the background of the garden for the most of the rest of the year. But, you know, people are quick to plant cherries, and they're the same. Yeah, well, I call them barometer plants. As soon as they come into flower, the wind picks up. Yeah. Um, and I actually enjoy seeing cherries in other people's gardens more than I enjoy having them in my oh, own. Yes. It's like lilac. I love the flowers of lilac, but you get a week to a fortnight out of a lilac bush, and the rest of the year it's pretty scruffy and yep. ordinary, uh, particularly the, the Lemoyne hybrids and things. Um, I love it if people give me bunches of lilac to take home, mm-hmm. and I don't have to grow one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I love the flowers. Yes. Uh, so there's lots of plants I wouldn't grow. Uh, because they don't last terribly long. But I have to say, Exocordus, although it's not a plant that flowers for terribly long, it does give me a, a week to a fortnight of sheer bliss yeah. in mm. flowers. Just beautiful. Mm. And I could see it with all the other beauties of spring, you know, adding to the, to the combination so you could have it with all sorts of other interesting things flowering at the same time. So it could go with yellows and things. It could go with pinks and what have you. Mm. Um, uh, a really useful shrub. Mm. I've got the bride at home and it's mm. just stunning when yeah. it's out. Yeah. Oh, lovely yeah. thing. Gorgeous. Yeah. And you've got a fairly difficult climate in yes, some ways and soil type. Yep. Uh, and the exocorders obviously do quite well it, for you very well yeah, yeah it's so been there for years now yeah yeah yes they're a good value plant so oh, they yes are. i'm i'm going to try and push more people into planting it because i mm. think it's a, a gorgeous shrub no it's great okay all right one last that i've got um is one of the skimmias which is S-K-I-M-M-I-A, if you're trying to look it up. Uh, this one is Skimia Confusa, because obviously the botanist who named it was somewhat confused yeah. uh, by this particular plant. Uh, and it's still a bit of an anomaly. Nobody's quite sure about Skimia Confusa as to where it quite fits and whether it's a natural hybrid or a true species or whatever. It doesn't seem to fruit whether you've got male and female Skimias around, so I'm assuming the one we've got here is a male. So no berries. No berries. Oh. Uh, but it gets these big... Big heads of creamy flowers, nicely perfumed, uh, leathery green foliage, and it makes a, an evergreen shrub up to about a metre and a half by a little bit wider, so it makes a sort of a domey bush. Um, a nice alternative to planting bug-ridden azaleas and other yep. sundry oh, yes. things. You know, if yeah. you're looking for something because the azaleas are full of blight and lacewing and God knows what else... Skimmia might be a nice alternative. Mm. It, doesn't a shade or? it doesn't like the hot sun, yeah. uh, so I'd certainly keep it out of the hot sun. Uh, mine, unfortunately, cops a little bit of a blast in the garden at home, which I wasn't anticipating when I planted it, yeah. and I get a bit of burnt foliage on the top but of it. But it survives it. It's surviving. Uh, I mean, it could look cleaner than it does because of the burnt foliage, but uh, uh, I'll probably start another one in a slightly more shady aspect somewhere yeah. in the garden and eventually take the other one out. Um, and um, they're very popular in Europe, the skimmies, but you just don't see them planted much here. They make good tub specimens. <coughs> oh, excuse me. And some will produce lovely berries, and uh, but in general you need a boy and a girl form to get the fruit, um, although there is a form lurking around of Skimia japonica, which is purportedly a hermaphrodite um, yeah. okay. and does seem to fruit reasonably well on its own. And the big red berries are quite pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, I've also imported a white-fruited one called Q White, um, and I did have another one that I imported and made it through quarantine, but it was so weak by the time it got through quarantine oh. it just didn't make it any further, yeah. much to my annoyance. That was so 
some years ago when I was still doing a fair bit of importing. Uh, so I think they're a nice group of shrubs. Uh, they flower in the late winter. Their perfume is good, and they make a nice solid green sort of plant for a, a semi-shaded to shaded aspect. And if you get fruit, they're really startling. Oh, yes. The berries are just gorgeous. Yeah. So, and they stay on the plant for ages. The birds seem to leave them alone. Um, so you've got perfume, you've got berries, you've got good foliage, you've got good form and habit. Um, so very useful group of plants. Yep, so fantastic. So Yep. So they're all a bit cyborg along. Brilliant. Craig, we've got time for just one more if you want to mention something quickly. I'm talking about berries. I've bought in um, Ocuba rosalie, yeah. which is possibly my favourite Ocuba. I have grow a few of them. This one's very contained. Mm, it's a nice shrub, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it gets to about probably 1.5 metres with a similar sort of spread. At this time of the year, it's covered in red berries and setting flower uh, buds and a dark green glossy leaf, much like Stephen's skimmia. Yep. yep. Yeah, and dry shade. Mm. Yeah, they're really tough. Fantastic. Yeah, nice plant. Yep. Mm. Yes, I've, I've actually become something of an aficionado of the Acuba genus. I mean, most people remember the old Stardust la- Which laurel. Which is terrific. I love it's it. It's a great plant with these mm. blotchy yellow spots all over the mm. leaves, and if you plant it in the shade somewhere, it looks like the sunlight's coming in from somewhere. That's right. Because uh, you get this sort of blotchy sort of effect. And I think it's a terribly underrated and very useful plant. Yeah. But the genus has a lot more going for it than yep. we realise. And yeah. I'm, I did some Googling one day looking at, the possibility of importing some, and I found a site somewhere, and I haven't been able to find it since, of an American nursery somewhere that was selling a whole range of Acuba right. cultivars, yeah. and they had one that had dark green leaves, and all its new growth came up pure white. Fantastic. Wow. And it was just mind-blowing to look at on the on the images on the net. Because we have that one here, forget the name, where the new foliage is variegated. Oh, yes, that's... Oh, yes. Uh, Yes, I've got that one. It's something like Oreo Marginata or right. a name yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, and that's quite pretty. And it's yeah. also a female form. So if you've got a male Acuba yeah. nearby, it will fruit. Yeah. Um, I imported one called uh, uh, Japonica longifolia, which has long, narrow leaves, okay. dark green, which is yeah. lovely. Also a female form. Yeah. And I think the Tisas bought in one as, or got one as um, Chinensis, Acuba Chinensis, which has huge leaves, which are heavily veined and really dark yeah. green and very glossy. Stunning thing. But apparently it isn't probably chinensis. It's another species, the name of which I found. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head. Um, and, and then this picturata. Yes, yeah, picturata with heavy spots yeah. uh, and big sort of yellow centre. Mm. Uh, there's oodles of different forms of them, and we should be sort of re-engaging with the cubas as, as well. As shade plants, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah. 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 Okay. Right, we have run out up. of time. Oh, we really oh, have. Uh-huh. Yep, a big thank you to the team and also to Liz and Doug who've been handling all the phone calls. We will, of course, I promise, be back next Sunday, 7.30. Until then, bye for now. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.